in the book of Joel, uh, starting at chapter 2, verse 28. It's the last of four weeks we've had in this little Old Testament prophet. Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 28, and that's on page 1054. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them, concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now what have you against me, O Tyre, Sidon, all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold, carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and your daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Sun and the moon will be darkened. And the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people. A stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be and will foreigners invade her. In that day the mountains will drip new wine. And the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. 
Now, those strange, mysterious, ancient words, they began to be fulfilled um, on this day of the year, uh, in the year that Jesus died. That day, um, Jesus' followers were huddled together, scared, afraid, terrified that people who had killed Jesus would come and kill him. And Acts chapter 2 says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And then uh, shortly after, um, the Apostle Peter stood up. He'd been terrified before, now he was brave. And he said, uh, he, he stood up and he raised his voice and said, Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to say the words that I've just read from the book of Joel about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And he tells the people that this has begun to come true. Now, what does that all mean for us? It means this. Every Christian has a mission, a purpose that God has given them. And he helps them in that mission and that purpose. He comes and lives in them by the power of his Holy Spirit to equip us for the mission he gives. Part of that mission is to tell us, to tell the world, that God has a plan to deal with the evil and the suffering that is in the world. I don't know if that's ever caused you trouble, you know, awareness that you know, horrible things happen, whether that's um, the suffering that comes through illness and disease, death, loss, you know, it's difficult. Or you turn on your TV and you watch Kiev this morning being hit by drones sent by Russia or you hear hideous tales of child abuse. There is evil in this world. God is announcing he is going to do something about it. And our mission is to tell people what he's going to do. So, humans do awful things to one another, don't they? And God is telling us, God is announcing to the world through us that he is going to put a stop to that. He will get rid of disease and sickness and evil, but even before that, he's going to put an end to the evil that humans do to one another. And our mission is to say to the world, you know, will you choose to stand with God against human cruelty and evil, not just out there on your TV screen, but even where it comes closer to you in your own heart, let alone further away? Because if you will, you can receive God's forgiveness and come into the wonderful future he promises free of evil and pain. So if you've been here over the last four weeks yeah, and you cast your mind back over this little book, this little prof book of the prophet Joel, it started with one prophet, Joel, hearing the word of the God. And he was to warn his people about a coming judgment against their evil. He told them, turn back to God. In other words, repent, come back to him, call on him. Stop doing the evil you're doing, come back to him and receive forgiveness and he'll help you. And, and they did. And he did wonderful things for them. But now in 228 we see that that pattern is repeated for the whole world. All of them will be pro God's people, will be prophets. 
like Joel, to announce to the world there is a coming judgment, but more there is also offered forgiveness that means there is a way out of that judgment against evil. And God is calling everyone because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he says, will be saved. So, first of all, um, God's people, uh, in verses 28 to 32, are going to be prophets. Joel tells the people of his time, there is going to come a day, and we just read about when that day was, when God would generously pour out his spirit on all sorts of people, young and old, men and women, without holding back. God's spirit, in other words, God himself, as God is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, God himself is going to come and live in our hearts to equip us for a purpose. All through the Old Testament, God's Spirit came on special people at special times for special purposes, to give them, you know, prophets, kings, important people. But now he says, my Spirit will come on all my people, everyone. The same equipping that the great heroes of the Old Testament had, generously. And he says, this will make them all prophets. Verse 28, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will... Will, will dream, sorry, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And Peter, of course, says that that happened 2,000 years ago. And as a result, the church has been growing ever since. From that moment forward, every single Christian has had this Holy Spirit living in their heart, changing them, transforming them, connecting them to God, and equipping them for, for their purpose. Now, if you look around the church, probably many of us, not many of us prophesy in the sense of foretelling the future. Not many of you probably have miraculous dreams regularly. But then, of course, that was never the main thing that prophets did. It was a part. But prophets like Joel, their main thing they did was declare to people God's forgiveness, God's hope, and the coming judgment that faces evil, just as Joel did. The other things are there as well. And if you look in the New Testament, it's the same. You know, there are amazing, uh, miraculous dreams and visions and things like that. But the main thing is that people like Peter go from being terrified to standing up in front of whole crowds or hostile kings or people who were going to put them in prison. And they declare the, the message of Jesus' coming and his forgiveness and the life that you found in him. God's Spirit equips his people to do that work, the work of the prophets. And if you look at the next few verses of Joel, Joel summarizes the message that his people carry in 30 to 31. He says, I will show wonders in heavens and the earth and so on. He, he says that there are going to be signs of his coming judgment one day that are going to be in the heavens. There will be a coming day of justice for the world. When the day of the Lord comes, which as we heard the other week, is the day of justice, the good day when God will deal with evil. But then it says that God will provide a way out, that if we have done wrong and we face that justice, he will forgive us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we come to him, he will forgive us. Whatever we've been, whatever we've done, as we've seen already with the kids. There'll be rescue, um, it says it. In Mount Zion and Jerusalem will be deliverance. You know, that, that, Zion, Jerusalem, that was the city of God's people then. 
and it was always a picture. Uh, New Testament Hebrews 12 says that that city is a picture of the heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, God's own living place where he calls us in the end. Heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. And so there is justice, but there is forgiveness and freedom as well. And that is what Joel declared, and that is what we too are to declare. Because God takes us and by his spirit makes us his messengers, equips us with what we need to declare his message of forgiveness to a world under judgment. Um, some of us think that sounds very well, but you know, I'm not really made for that. I'm not good at speaking. I'm, my faith is weak. I struggle with this whole idea. And um, I don't know about Joel, but if you ask most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they would say, welcome to the job. That was what it was like for me too. You read about the calls of Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the great prophets. They begin with just a feeling of aching inadequacy. that They couldn't do it. You know, at one point Elijah, halfway through the job, feels he's so useless he just wants to die. Many of them felt like failures, like Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah when they were ignored again and again. Prophets, in other words, are people just like us, but they speak the message that God gives them all the same. And some listen to it. And through that message, those people who listen, they gain life in Jesus. And we don't all have the same tasks, we won't all do the same parts of that role, but together as a church, we spread this news of Jesus. Secondly, God's people will declare coming judgment. So this next section, 1 to 16, spells out the judgment that is coming. The way, in other words, that God will deal with evil that human beings have done to one another. And there is a lot of that in the world, isn't there? It says, God will gather all nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That, uh, the note at the bottom of the page in your Bible says that. That just means the, the valley of judgment. Um, he's going to judge them because of what, what they have done to his people, particularly. You see the horrific things in these words that the nations have done to God's people. Cast lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes, sold girls for wine. They enslaved, killed, done horrible, horrible things and set no value at all on, on God's people. Jesus tells a story in the New Testament about the day when he will come to judge that says the same thing. He says, you know, he'll sit on his throne and before him will be gathered all nations and they'll be divided into the sheep on one, his sheep on one side and goats on the other. And he says to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But Jesus says to the goats on the other hand, he will say, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Even stronger words than Joel uses, straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. And how on that day will the difference between those groups be clear? Jesus is very plain. He says, those who love his people, those who give them food when they're hungry or drink when they're thirsty, clothes when they're naked, um, those are his sheep, not because they've done those good things to earn their way to heaven, not at all, but rather that in doing that, they showed that they loved God's people, they loved God's messengers, they loved God himself. 
is, and his message. You know, if you treat someone's messenger well, if someone sends you a messenger and you, you welcome them, that means that you respect what they're, they're saying to you. The goats, on the other hand, are those who have done the opposite, who have mistreated and maltreated God's people, God's messengers. So how we react to God comes out in how we react to his people. Joel is saying that, and, and so is Jesus. So then, God speaks in court against some of the ancient enemies. That's all, all these names up here, Tyre and Sidon and so on. These are ancient enemies of God's ancient people. And he's saying to them, are you trying to pay God back by hurting his people? You've taken away the temple treasures, you've sold my people. And he says, I'm going to give you a punishment that fits the crime. Metaphorically, it will be exactly what you have done to them. And so in 9 to 10, he says, all these nations that have opposed God and God's people, you know, if they want to oppose them, step up then. Get ready for war. If you want to take on God, you're going to need every man. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near to attack. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. In other words, you probably don't have enough guns, you might want to take your garden tools as well. You're going to need absolutely every man. Let the weakling say, I'm strong. Get dad's armies ready, because the regular army isn't going to be enough. If you want to face God, you're going to need everything. Bring them together. But it's not going to be a fight. He's saying to these people who have done so much evil, they're like a kid who's beaten a little child in the playground, you know, they knocked them down, kicked them while they're lying there, and ground their face carefully into the tarmac. And then after grinding the child's face into the tarmac, they turn around and they see the big brother they didn't know about, just rolling up his sleeves and saying, okay then, come on. God isn't calling them for battle. There's no battle there. He's coming, it says. There I will sit to judge the nations. And the nations are no more a threat to God than a field of grain is to a farmer. He swings the sickle and they fall. He roars from Zion and heaven and earth quake. It is the future. It's a serious future. One day we will all stand in the valley of decision. Not our decision. We make our decisions here. The valley of God's decision. And the decision that's made about us on that day will depend on this. Did we reject God's message of forgiveness to call on his name? Or did we listen? Did we listen to those who held out that message of rescue and forgiveness and life to us? Or it would go and grind their faces into the tarmac. And if you are a Christian, of course, this isn't just the future. This is your message. You need to know that the world faces judgment and you are sent so that they will not have to face it. That, because that's the point. That, that These warnings aren't because God takes pleasure in the judgment itself, but he wants people to turn away from it and be rescued. Now, a quick story. Um, most of us are reluctant to talk about the message of judgment and uh, sin when we talk to family and friends. We want to talk about the positives about being Christian, understandably. Um, mainly because we don't want to be the nutcase standing on the street with a sandwich board saying, uh, you're all going to hell. Uh, because admittedly, those nutcases on the street often don't do much good. And 
the reality is we do need to be wise and gentle and kind and prayerful and thoughtful about how we share the message of the Christian faith. We do. But nonetheless, there is... There is power to the truth itself. And even shared badly, it can make a difference to people's lives. So I knew a man who knew a man, which I realise is not a great start to a story. Um, I knew a guy who worked for the BBC and had a friend who worked in the BBC as well. And one day this friend was travelling up to Wales on business. Uh, he was going on the train and he was just outside King's Cross Station in London and he saw a guy with a sandwich board telling people to repent. And I can't imagine that most people paid much attention. He was the kind of guy who you know, just comes up and yells horrible things at people. But this man thought, just on the off chance that this is true, I probably ought to check Christianity out. And so he went into the station bookshop, bought a Bible, uh, read it on the train, and by the time he got to Wales, he was a Christian. Um, he'd come through that warning to listen, to hear about the forgiveness and the life and the hope that is in Jesus and the way we can escape that judgment. Now that isn't normal, that's not what I recommend. I do not suggest buying a sandwich board this week. But <laughs> let's not always dodge the truth either. Let's not forget that God, because this is an important part of the message, God is going to deal with evil. There are, the world is full of people who are horrified by the evil in the world, who are thinking, why isn't God doing anything about the, the horrible things we see in our TV screens? And the answer is, he is. He is coming and he is going to sweep it all away. It's not exactly the way we'd have done it, but then God is a little bit different to us. The issue is that all of us in our hearts have evil that will face that judgment unless we come to him. But when we do, uh, this is the last point. Because people get to declare lasting hope as well. That's what means that that message of judgment isn't a, just a dark and heavy one. Because the alternative is a wonderful hope. God declares through his prophets that once human evil has been swept away, God is going to actually remake the world so that the, the evil and pain in this world, the, the sickness and poverty and all of that is going to be swept away as well. Last week we saw that in Joel's time, when God's people turned back to him, he gave them peace and plenty. Well, that was only a shadow of the peace and plenty, which all of us, if we are his people, can look forward to as well. At the heart of it is this, that God dwells in Zion. In other words, with his people. At the heart of his people. He will be with them. He will, they will know that he is his, their God and that he will be with them forever. To be with him is to be safe forever. And verse 18, it's to enjoy incredible plenty. All the streams will be full of water. Wine and milk will be dripping from the mountains and the hills. All you need to do is bring your glass. It's a pretty odd vision, isn't it? Hills flowing with milk. Sounds pretty weird. But just think how those words sounded to people in Joel's day. They'd lived with years of drought and suffering and hunger. They'd seen everything they had eaten by locusts. And now there's food everywhere. Um, and wherever people are desperate and hungry, you get dreams like this. I don't know. I'm going to expose. Yeah, anyway. I don't know if you know the American folk song, Big Rock Candy Mountain. Yeah, one or two. <laughs> 
It was written just before the Great Depression about a wonderful land where you can go to the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs, where there's a lake of stew and of whiskey too. You can paddle all around them in a big canoe. Daft. But at the same time, God is using that kind of imagery to say to you, you know, once you're with me, once you're really mine, once I've set all things right, you will have everything you could possibly need and, and so much more. Are you tired of nine to five for a paycheck? Or not nine to five if you work shifts? Are you tired of spending that paycheck and a little bit more and all your time in the supermarket every week? Are you tired of having to cook dinner every evening when you get home? One day those days will be done. They will be done. That's what Joel is saying to the people. And it all comes from God. That's the strange, the strange picture in language. A fountain will flow out of God's house. He's saying, you know, the water's coming from where God lives. God is the source of all good. The New Testament makes that very clear. He didn't just create us. He is the giver of all good gifts. You live with him, you have everything. And it says it will water the valley of Acacias. Again, it's just saying, you know, Acacias grow where it's really dry and dusty. He's going to bring life and hope and greenery to the, the driest, hardest places and to the driest, hardest people. In those days, Egypt and Eden will be desolate. In other words, those nations who in the past have done such terrible violence to God's people, they won't have power to do it anymore. Whereas instead, God's people, in those days, that would be Judah and Jerusalem. In these days, it's everyone who turns to God will be in peace forever. They'll be pardoned, utterly forgiven for all they've done wrong. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. You like my friend Gary, pardoned, forgiven for awful things but with forgiveness. And Joel's final words are these, you know, the Lord dwells in Zion. In other words, God will be with his people forever. Now this is all picture language. That's what makes reading Joel hard. It's these strange pictures and images, but they're, they're, designed, to, they're designed to make us think, to make us feel a little bit of what this is all like, rather than just saying it and put it in plain English and we'd read over it and, and carry on without really feeling so much of it. And God is saying to us, the day is coming when everyone will stand before him in the valley of decision, when it is too late for us to choose anymore. And he will look at our lives and he will ask, were you one of the people who were against me and my people? Or did you call on me and join my people? If you do, you'll be with me. And if you have called on him, then you have a job to do. Because there is wonderful news about an incredible future that is open to anyone who will call on his name. And we are there to, as a church, not on our own, to invite people to that wonderful future. To invite them to call on God so that they might be forgiven and escape that judgment and instead come into life and joy. If you're a Christian, this vision of the future is not just given so you can sit back and look forward to it. I mean, a bit of sitting back and looking forward to it is definitely allowed, in fact encouraged. But it's given so that we can tell the world that there is hope. A lot of people out there without hope who are just horrified by some of the things that happen in the world. But there is hope. There is a future. You might not be a great evangelist or missionary preacher, but you have the Spirit of God in you if you are His. 
And believe it or not, if you get to know your Bible, you know more about the coming hope and justice than Joel ever did, since we have the New Testament. All of us can hold out the promise of justice, of life and of hope to this world and to our friends, our families and those we meet. But now, let's pray before our final hymn.